You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. On page Memches, in the, on the, left, in the left column, the, referring to the verse, Umeis kol b'chor ve'eretz Mitzrayim. This is when Moshe is giving Paro the warning that the plague is coming, the tenth plague. He says to him that this is what Hashem said. At about midnight, remember Moshe says to Kachatzos, Ani yotzei betoch Mitzrayim, I, Hashem, will go out through Egypt. Umeis kol b'chor b'eretz Mitzrayim, and all the firstborn sons of Egypt will die. And what the Archaim is dealing with is why does the Torah use the word umes and they will die, which sounds like they will die of their own, when it should say, and I will kill. I, Hashem, will kill, will destroy, will wipe out all the firstborn. So we're going to skip that first paragraph. We're going to go straight to the second paragraph. Od Yirtzeh. Another explanation. Alderach Omram Zal, based on the teaching of our sages. Yahiv Be We find a few times in the Talmud that one of the Torah sages, one of the sages of the Talmud, of the Mishnah or the Talmud, will look at someone based on that after that person had done something very very bad, after that person had done something terrible, the sage will look at that person and kill him. Gam Amru, we have a similar language, Venase Gal Shel Atzamos, we have another Gemara in a few places, where one of the sages looks at someone, and by looking at him, he turns into a pile of bones. When you hear these words, Bashkafer at first glance, Yirach Kemasechal, we want to reject something like that. Here we have these people who are holy who are spiritual people, and they do such a, a, a cruel thing, they do this act, of, not just of killing someone, but of basically turning someone into rubble. But what bothers the Arachayim more, is how can a tzaddik looking at something have a negative effect on something? We know the verse in Mishlei tells us, someone with a good eye, that person gives blessing. Also, we know that the Rajbi, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in the Zohar, refers to a Ra'ayin, someone who has a bad eye, which we consider to be one of the worst character traits. That's someone who's Hamazik Be'eno, someone who damages things with his eyes. Because that is the portion of evil. So therefore, the, again, he's, he'll get back to our question, but he's trying to understand why do we have this phenomenon in our, in, of our sages ki- having someone die by looking at them. But after looking at it more closely, maybe there's a pun there, maybe there isn't. But take a look at the exact words of our sages. It doesn't say he looks at him. He put his eyes on him. He gave him his eyes. Hayalo Lomar, it should have said, Ra'abo Be'enav, he looked at him with his eyes. What is, why does it say Yahiv Ene? He gave his eyes. The evil eye? Well, what's he, we don't want it to be an evil eye. 
because the tzaddikim don't have an evil eye. That's his problem. So what does that mean? He gave him his eye. Elalios. So this is where the Arachaim. And one of the great things about learning the Arachaim, you learn other commentaries, and you know we are, it feels like we're getting insight into the mind of that thinker, of that writer, of that author, whoever it is that wrote that commentary. <coughs> We're like joining with that author's mind. When you learn the Arachaim, it always feels like he's telling you secrets that he's not supposed to be telling you. Like ancient secrets that we're not supposed to know. But in order for him to explain the verse in the Torah, he's going to have to reveal a little bit, which is, you can see in his language, like he's, he doesn't want to reveal too much, but he gives us like all these secrets. And Elias kol chelik olam. Anything that's evil in the world is never ever, 100% evil. Behechreach, it has to be, ki lo davar hamamid kolshehu, that it has something which supports it, something which holds it up. Mehachiyuni, which gives it life, shu which is of the good. There's got to be something good in there. Ki chelikara, shem misa yeshlo, because evil is death, and it can't have life. You can't have life. Life itself is such a good thing that you can't have life in something completely evil. There's got to be something there. Something there. Sometimes we find that by uh, some of the most terrible people in the world that their future descendants um, convert and become great members of the uh, Jewish people or um, they, they, they do something. Or even sometimes you have within someone who's really bad who indirectly without intending, unintentionally, will do something good for the sake of a large group of people, even though that wasn't their intention. That good, either the future good or some good action hidden within them, that's what allows them to live. Otherwise, pure evil has no right to exist in the world. Because otherwise, how could it live and exist? Certainly. She is Noah. For something to be able to be mobile, to move around, and to move around like a living being. It must be, it has to have something from the concept of life, referred to as Chaim. And that's the portion of good which is within everything. He says, this is, you can now understand the famous statement of our sages. In the future, Hashem is going to bring the Samachmam, the angel of Esau, the evil inclination. And will slaughter him amongst the, uh, where the uh, spectators of the righteous who will witness this. Ad Khan. This is, of course, at the end of Chagadia, when we talk about HaKadosh Baruch Hu will come and will shech the Malachamavis. That's referring to this Medrash, this Gemara, really, in Sukkah. It says, in the future, Hashem will slaughter the Satan, the evil inclination. Anyone who reads this, there's no way to understand this. What kind of expression? You can't shecht. You can't slaughter an angel. But based on what I've just explained, this is the real meaning. Hashem will remove from him the portion of him which gives him vitality, which gives him life. It means like this. Right now, the evil inclination. He is the source of all evil. He is the source of death. 
but he has a purpose. He has a positive purpose. There's what to be gained from having an evil inclination in the world. So the, that purpose is its life. That's what gives it life. At the moment that he's no longer needed, that all he is, is just the source of evil and death, then at that point he becomes 100% completely evil, completely on the side of death. So just removing any purpose or any good from him, that is, it's slaughtering. Hashem is going to change the world in a way where there'll be no more benefit from an evil inclination. There'll be no benefit from evil at all. There'll be no benefit from death. And all that will disappear. And once there's no life there, no purpose for the evil inclination, for the angel of death, he's gone. He is slaughtered. I don't understand how this explains the psukh in, in, in Talmud. Well, he's gone. That's really the next paragraph. Odiyesh lechaladas. Now, you also have to know one more piece of information. Kikol makor yishaf lemino v'yishavenu. Any the source of something is always drawn towards what it brings about and draws it to it. The source of blessing will draw blessing to it. The source of destruction will draw destruction to it. V'zehu so, this is the secret, b'chinas berure nitzotze ha This is the concept, and uh, we've talked about this in the, in the Arachayim many times, and this is a theme which we'll, we will come back to many times. And it's the concept of the Holy Sparks, and we know within this world there are aspects of holiness dispersed throughout the world. And it is our job to collect them and to bring them back to, the, to Kedusha. Um, let's take for example, if there are sparks hidden in the earth, so those sparks will um, appear to us or come to us in the form of the food which we eat. And when we eat that food with Kedusha, with holiness, when we make the proper bracha, when we have the right intention for the reason why we're eating... If we, if we use the energy from that food for positive purposes, that elevates that spark and brings it closer to our souls, which are connected to the holiness, to the highest holiness, and that's Hashem. Is this the same concept as klipot? Right, the klipot are the, are the exact opposite. The klipot are shells. Those, that's what's containing and hiding the sparks to not allow us to take from them, just like the shell of a fruit protects it from being... Um, taken, and we have to crack open the, the, the shell in order to take the fruit, the klipos are the husks which are not, they're just in, in, encasing or better yet, caging the holiness so to stop us from being able to get to it. And there's different levels of husks, of klipos based on how evil something is. So we, we have to fight that. We have to combat that and try to draw that towards ourselves. He's, but he, what he's saying is that our neshamas, because it's, um, they are from heaven and connected to God, have the ability to draw and to collect these holy sparks, which is part of the process of fixing the world. So he says, this is the secret of Birure Nitsotsi Akedusha, of the fixing of all these sparks of holiness. Bemtsos Nishmas Yisrael, through the souls of the Jewish people. The Asik Torah, especially when they study Torah, studying Torah is one of the greatest ways of elevating the sparks in the world.
So here comes the answer to the question. These truly righteous people, Kadmoneinu, the ancient ones, Yakiru, they could recognize Bahabitam Ba'adam by looking at a person, Rasha, who's wicked. Levarer Mimenu they can draw the good out of that person, that power of vitality. that aspect of good. by looking very closely. they're looking with their mind's eye. Lahotzi chelak atovahu, and they draw out that good. And the absence of good is the evil, so they can't right. resist. <laughs> right. That's exactly it. So, but the thing is, what the tzaddik can do is focus in and find what is good about that person. Let's say if that person has a holy soul that that's supposed to come from them sometime in the future, that tzaddik can reach into that person and draw that spark, can draw out that good, leaving that person with no life. It's not that the tzaddik has killed that person. That tzaddik has reclaimed what that person is holding on to. And then that person's gone. When he focuses in on that branch of holiness, that the soul of the tzaddik becomes like these stones that can draw iron, but we would call them a magnet, it becomes like a magnet, where he can draw it out just by looking. And here's an interesting, uh, here's an interesting line from the Arachayim. Hashem makes things like that in the world, so that a person will believe the Torah of a sage. Which means, Arachayim is saying something interesting, the whole reason why Hashem made magnets Hashem made stones that can draw. It's not just in order for us to have electromagnetism, for us to have electricity and all these other things. On a spiritual level, the reason why magnets exist is so that I could give you an example so that you can understand how the soul of the tzaddik draws um, holiness towards it. Because what does a magnet do? If It draws, but it doesn't draw everything. It only draws things which fit in with the electromagnetic force which is in, in that magnet. So in the same way, the tzaddik doesn't draw everything towards him, but he creates this force field of kedusha around him, and his kedusha will attract the kedusha elsewhere and draw it out and leave the other object with nothing. And so it, the electricity, which is the life force running through that object, is drawn out and taken by by the magnet in the same way that the tzaddik draws the kedusha. It's just interesting for him to say that that's the reason why magnets exist in the world. He uh, doesn't mean literally, obviously, magnets have purposes, but on a spiritual level, that's, that's the role of the magnet to teach us, to educate us on the secrets of the world. This process is reversible. If the stage desires to reverse it, we have the episode of Rabbi Yochanan and Rabbi Kahana, where Rabbi Yochanan misunderstands Rabbi Kahana and he schmeisses him on the spot. Right. Uh, and then resuscitates him when he told he's made a big mistake. Right. And, and he, it's interesting because he heals him again by looking at him. Right. And Rebbe Kahana says, don't do that to me again, it's too painful. <laughs> right. Okay. right. And we also have the episodes where uh, Rebbe revives the soldiers that uh, Antoninus 
has killed. Well, one of Rebbe's students, right? Um, but there, there it doesn't say that he used eyes. There it just said he broke him up. Right. Yeah, he just brought him back to life, reanimated him. But I think your 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 point is very important. That obviously, if the tzaddik can can draw out kedusha, how much more so the power for the good to give someone life by by gazing at him in a way which provides him with uh, spiritual mm-hmm. vitality. I would just assume that the Orachim didn't even bother going there because he took for granted that the tzaddik can give life. He finds it strange that the tzaddik can take life. That's what he's saying. He's not taking life. He's drawing the holiness. Does, may, does that person get credit for his kedusha or the goodness or the kedusha that he had? Well, it depends on why he had that kedusha. Many times, it's not; it's through their evil actions that they that they absorb or steal some aspect of holiness. It depends on the case. Like if we talk about, let's say that, that famous story about the really bad guy who, who did one great thing in his life and because of that he got reward, he got this huge reward because one time he accidentally gave something to a poor man. You know, there, that person gets credit for that even if they did it accidentally, unintentionally. But if it's just that somehow within them are trapped souls of great people like uh, someone like uh, Sancherif who was very evil, but from his descendants, his children were allowed to live, because from Sancherif would come Shmai and Avtalion, two of the greatest sages of the Jewish people. So I don't think he gets credit for that, because he didn't do anything. On the contrary, he was stealing these souls, and uh, through the process of whatever happened, we, we were somehow able to reclaim it. Is this the mechanism that Moshe killed the Egyptian? Well, th- we were told that he used uh, some name. But uh, it could be maybe there's a medicine. Right, that's why we say use the name because uh, you you can refer to using one of God's names to kill someone can be referred to as haka. Right. Okay, <coughs> says now we can understand the meaning of this verse. But Omro, it doesn't say Hashem said I will kill the firstborn. Umes kol b'chor, the firstborn will sort of die on their own, perish. Ki be'emtsoz shani over betoch Mitzrayim. Hashem will pass through Egypt. B'zei yomus me'atzmo kol b'chor, and then the firstborn will of their own just die. Was this men and women or just men? Well, we're told that both men and women, um, all the firstborn, within it, because the Pesach says within every household there was someone who died. Yeah, but the, what if there was a firstborn girl? Right, so it sounds like. Right. Very similar to the way that the um, the sages will kill a, a wicked person. And make them into a pile of bones. Because through this process, the vitality will leave them. Hashem doesn't kill, doesn't kill the firstborn, but Hashem will pass through Egypt. She and will pull from them, will separate from them. through his passing, call Nishmos Abachoras the souls of the firstborn, the Havin Advarim. What about the animals that died? The firstborn of the animals died. Yeah. Are they judged that way? Firstborn of the animal, good question. Next Next point addressed by the Orachim. So we're going to skip the next uh, paragraph, Va'omro, and we're going to go to Vera'isi. Vera'isi lost his time, but I want to explain Why do we need this death of the firstborn? 
Oh, Lama Hashem Hika Fila Bukhar Sha'ina Mitzri. Also, we know that the firstborn died, even if they weren't Egyptians. The Khsiv Bukhar Ashvi, the firstborn of the uh, of the captured, meaning even of another nation. So here the Arachim tells us something very deep and uh um, hopefully we understand what he's talking about. Vulai, maybe. Kiatamu, the reason is like this. Lutzad, Shimatsinu Shakara Hashem Li Yisrael Bni Bakhari. We know the Jewish people are my son, my firstborn, Yisrael. That's how Hashem refers to the Jewish people as the firstborn. Which is interesting, because that means if the Jewish people are the firstborn of Hashem, that really all the humans in the world are also on some level children of Hashem. And even though we never quite see that stated anywhere, this is probably the closest clue, because we have later in the Torah where it says, Banim atem, Hashem You are the children of Hashem, which suggests that the other nations are not children, but servants, as we say, Im kebanim, Im kavadim, that they, their relationship. But here, this is probably the only place where Hashem refers to, because um, if it would be an only child, you wouldn't say, My son, my bachor. So this this requires analysis on its own. Anyway, sages tell us, anything which exists on the side of good, Hashem always makes a balance. There's always some equivalent evil on the other side. And the same is true um, of every aspect of holiness. Anytime you find something holy, you'll find something opposite it, which is on the side of evil. Even when you have great righteous people in the world, you'll always have someone who is equally wicked on the other side. That's why Bilam lives at the same time as Moshe, because... You know, they're, they're, they balance each other out. Avraham lives at the same time as Nimrod. Yaakov lives at the same time as Lavan. Each, each great person is balanced out because there has to be equilibrium in the world. Even today? Even today. Yeah. <laughs> and what happens afterwards when there is no evil? Right, and that, that's when the world will change. The structure of the world will change. There won't be that kind of world. Right. right. I mean, uh, do we have so much Kedusha? That there is so much evil going on in around the world? Right. Well, not just us. I mean, there's probably righteous going too, right? Yeah. But, but, but just in terms of holiness, and yes, <coughs> if you see a world, if you see a world where people are just so bad, people are just so bad, and it's not hard to see such a world, you should know that there is a power for holiness that's equal to that. And it doesn't mean we always use it. The problem is that we throw off the equilibrium when, when we... But I would say, just tell us, you're supposed to see that the world is a balance, right? Everything is 50-50, and every act which you do is going to lean towards... It's not just a, a metaphor. The world is constantly being balanced, even within each of us. We are. We most of us are fifty-fifty. <coughs> when we use that on Rosh Hashanah, that one of our mitzvahs could tip the scale for everybody, right. not just for us. Right. But that sounds like we don't the loss of bechira chavshin. Because if you always have to have a balance, that means if even if somebody doesn't want to be evil, they've got to be evil because it has to balance. Well, well, it's actually more power for evil rather than evil itself. And that, that's that sort of um, answers the point you were asking before. Is how, how, how in the future how can we lose the the equilibrium? And one of the answers given is that we'll still have the same ability to do evil, but we're going to use our evil inclination for the good. 
It's a little bit different than what he said before, but this is how some explain it, that we will channel it all towards the good so that the potential for evil and potential for good still remain a 50-50. We will just have the power, the tools, the skills to be able to channel it, <coughs> channel it all towards the good. So who's balancing all this act of uh, dash, ISIS? You are. Uh, <laughs> you are. So bad, they're killing this. But if you would know what a big mitzvah you do every day when you put on tefillin, you would ask, who's balancing against my tefillin? Mm-hmm. So it, you, we have to appreciate the mitzvot, which we do, every, every, everything we do when we, we, we study Torah, when we pray. Yeah, we had Shabbat yesterday. Uh, we had a room filled with people all praying to God, all singing Kel Adon together. All, that's, that's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. That when you think about it, every mitzvah you do, then somebody's going to do in a, a terrible avail. No, it, it doesn't work act. <laughs> it's not act against act. It's more the potential available in the world. Yeah. So he says, the kol bechinu bechinu sheyesh ba'kedusha. Every aspect that exists in the world in holiness, yesh connected ba'klipa exists on the other side in the husks. And the husks, the evil side, is constantly trying to attack the good side. So if there's a power of the firstborn in holiness, they were, at that point, they were the priests, they were the Kohanim. So there was a power of the firstborn of the evil that was holding on to the Jewish people, trying to stop them from escaping. Hashem had to wipe out not just the firstborn Egyptians, but destroy the power of the firstborn of the holiness, uh, of the opposite of holiness. Whether be it from the Egyptians, or even of the other nations, because they were all part of that evil aspect of the firstborn, the chsivat b'chor ha'shvi, that's why it's the firstborn of the captured, or b'chor ha'shivcha, and the firstborn of the maidservants, b'chor b'chor and even the firstborn of the animals. So the animals they sacrificed had the kadusha that the other ones uh, had right. whatever were the opposite ones. V'gam b'chor Yisrael, kidesh osam Hashem, and all that holiness goes to the firstborn of the Jewish people, k'omro, yikdash didi kol b'chor, I have sanctified the firstborn to me. <coughs> so all the holiness of the firstborn went to the Jewish people. That's why even the animals firstborn had to die. And once the entire, there were no firstborn anywhere that the evil could hold on to. That grasp, that hold of that husk, that power, that force, whatever it is, fell away. And the Jews immediately left. Even though we see they continued to pursue the Jewish people, they did chase after them. That's only because they were deluded to think that they still had what to hold on to the Jewish people with. See what happened. All but one remained. So he's saying that that's, that's the secret of what was really going on in Makas Bechorus was not just the undoing of the, not just the death of the firstborn, but all the holiness which was trapped within the evil. That's what was really holding the Jewish people. As if that firstborn Egyptian who was carrying around his idol-worshipping status as a priest of the, uh, being a firstborn, 
that was part of the bigger picture that was holding the entire Jewish people. And when he died, and that was gone, then somehow the Jewish people were released. Okay, but Paro remains. Paro is a separate issue, you know, exactly what, what he, he has to do. Is he to Moshe, uh, the evil side, or is that... Um, it sounds like Paro is more of a counterpart to Yosef, which is, which is an interesting... Uh, I mean, just from, from the way that it's described. And, you know, they don't always live at exactly the same time. Bilam is born before Moshe, and, uh, and Moshe lives many years after, after, after Bilam. Uh, well, another year after Bilam. So it doesn't the time doesn't always. It's not that they are die and are born and die on the same day. So, okay, uh, page Nun Gimel. Could you just say that again, as far as so the so Hashem passed over and Balach passed over, and it drew out the evil. It, no, it drew, draws out the holiness, the sparks of holiness that are within them. With the evil, right? But the sparks of holiness is because they were the firstborn. Well, the, the the power of the firstborn, which was 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 given to them as a way to balance the power of the firstborn in holiness. So, at the creation of the world, you had this um, you had um, the concept of the firstborn, which gave kedusha to or gave the power to hold on to kedusha, both for the good and for the evil. So the Egyptians were holding on to some force of holiness that belonged to the Jewish people, and that was trapping the Jewish people there. And that was only in the firstborn. Right. That right. So right. only the firstborn had any holiness in Egypt? Um, you no, know, because the Jews had drawn out the other holiness through the collection of the money and, and all the other things which they did through the suffering, which you discussed in the previous parsha. But that real hold on the Jewish people, that was the firstborn. And that's why the death of the firstborn releases the <coughs> Jewish people. So that's why the Malachamavet didn't do the job, the Hashem did the job? Exactly, because it's not about killing them. It's about finding the Kedusha, the, the holiness inside them. If the angel of death kills them, it could be that the holiness dies with them, mm. and then it appears in their future generations or something like that. This needed something more. But if all the holiness was gone from everybody else, why didn't they all die too? Well, on a certain level they did. I mean, mo- most of Egypt was destroyed. Um, in in terms of, uh, I mean, you can have sometimes just people like almost like a shell, barely surviving, based on. I, I would say almost like their only source of life was the fact that they exist to showcase the destruction that Hashem wrought on them. But 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 nothing like they were never a kingdom again. That's exactly what happens with with uh, all these, with the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans, it's almost like in an instant they disappear. Even, we've discussed this before, Spain in 1492, they were were the wealthiest country, especially uh, amongst the Europeans, and they kicked the Jewish people out, and within, within years... They're they're nothing. They disappear. Their their army is nothing. Their their economy is destroyed. And there's a physical understanding of it. There's a simple explanation that you know the Jews were helping to run the country. But on a deeper level, we understood that when the Jews left, they left with all the holiness that was there, and they were left a, a shell of a country. Well, it's so lasted about uh, at least a hundred years. He had the Spanish Armada of fifteen eighty before they got destroyed. Right, but but it it takes time. It takes time for it to register. But yeah, when the English destroyed the Armada, that's really the end of of Spain. I mean, that that was no no one dreamed. No one dreamed that anyone could ever 
defeat. They were going to be forever the greatest country in the world, and then and it didn't even make sense why they were destroyed. The whole thing, whole thing seemed like almost a, a accident or an act of God. Like they, they, they've tried to give real explanations for how the English destroyed, and people have created all kinds of legends and stories well, for I it. Know, I know there was a gale. There was a, big storm where their ships got all scattered. And, uh, yeah, yeah, but e- even there, you know, they're trained to handle this kind of stuff, but yeah, so we say, listen, there must have been, things were just falling apart for them, but we understand that it's because they, so they lost... What the German, is it? I, 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 I would... That's strong, I, but not so strong. Well, yeah, G- Germany was completely destroyed. They were oh, yeah, yeah. they were completely destroyed. Now, w- why they've come back and how that happens, I'm not. Uh, I would know. If I wouldn't the, call them world power anymore. It's still, still, they, they're not. They've, you know, they've recovered. Um, I think uh, Merkel got the uh, Times uh, because, Woman of the Year, maybe Person of the Year. Yeah. Maybe because their country did chuva. They did all sorts of acts of they did, chuva. They've they, helped Israel. They've done all kinds of things. I, I wouldn't call what they did chuva. <laughs> but, but yeah, I, yeah I, on their level, I don't know if the Orchaim were here today, we could ask. <laughs> okay, Rabbi, it's, it's, it seems to be saying that, that because Hashem actually took away this balance and made a one-time exception where He just said Bnei Israel has kedusha, and well, that's not. That is why we have to in Kaddish called the Chor. Right. So it wasn't this is this situation where actually a Kaddish Baruch said, "I'm going against usual." Well, that's an interesting point, right? And the Bomet Olam are not going to have it. Right. That's an interesting point. That now, because Hashem has done pushed it all the way to one extreme, that only we have the firstborn and they don't, we now have all these mitzvot involving the firstborn. Right. Very good. Also, I heard from Benishai that one of the reasons Hashem did and not Malachamav is because Egyptian they had the firstborn in their Jewish houses, and Malachamav didn't know which one is which. Right. She says, "My job is not your job." Right, but it could be it's related to the same concept that that's the hiding of the holiness within the. Um, it could be uh, uh, very good. And um, page nun gimel, this is a a beautiful pshat. Uh, make sure to to cover this. Is v'haya lachem lemishmeres. So there's some mitzvah that we have to guard or protect the carbon pesach. Why is that? Usually we bring a carbon, we bring a, a, a sacrifice. So you bring an animal. There were people whose job it was in the Beit HaMikdash. They would inspect the animal, make sure that there were no blemishes, because you can't have a mum, so they would check out all the parts. And there's, um, most of the blemishes are easy to recognize, but there's um, two or three or maybe a dozen that are hard, and so they would have professionals who would check it out. Over here, for some reason, you have to take this animal four days before, on the 10th, and keep it around for four days and protect it. Perish. Tzarech Shmira Kedin Kadashim. You have to protect it like it's a holy animal. Kevin Shikar Al of Shem Pesach because it has a status of a Korban Pesach. Od Yermos, but I'd like to give a deeper explanation. Al Derech Omram Zalba Pasig Goy Mikarev Goy. It says in the Torah, in Pashas Vashanan actually, that Hashem took the Jews out of Egypt, a nation from within a nation. And we explain there, what does that mean, a goy within a goy? That the Jews were um, tagging onto, had a little bit of a hold on the statutes of idol worship. 
because they lived amongst the Egyptians. As we say, that when the Torah says Mishchu, it says draw for yourself. That we say, draw yourself away. That the Jewish people had to actually pull themselves away from idol worship. Now he doesn't quote the verse in Yechezkel. But it says in, in Yechazka is actually more harsh, and he describes the Jewish people as having worshipped Egyptian idols. We know that when the Jews are traveling through the sea, and the sea is split, and the Jews are walking through it, and the, the uh, attribute of ju- justice says, Halalu of the Halalu of the these are idol worshippers, and those are idol worshippers. So, the Archaim beautiful says, God forbid to ever suggest that the Jewish people worshipped idols. Archaim refuses to accept that. Even though you look at most of the commentaries, they seem to have no trouble with it. And they understand that the Jews were, you know, had little idols in their home and maybe they went to, 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 to church on well, Sunday they, or. They, well, I heard the thing is, is that uh, they. <clears throat> the time that they, they took the Jews out, there, there was like 49 level. Of, right, 49th level of impurity. Right. Right. So, yeah, so that's how most of the commentators learn it. Now, the Archaim will have to explain the 49th level of impurity in his own way, which he does, but it's, he's going to explain that it doesn't involve actual idol worship. That's, that's where he's going. He says, God forbid that the Jews worshipped idols, Chasvashon. So then what does it mean? This is a, a beautiful defense of the Jewish people. They had amongst them. Without their knowledge. They picked up idolatrous customs. The clothing which they wore. The foods which they ate. Just by living in a culture, you pick up the aspects of that culture. So maybe you get a Hanukkah bush. A Hanukkah bush isn't, a, it's not idol worship. It's just, it's just a tree. But why do you have it? You have it because the rest of the world has a, a tree in their house. And the kids, um, they're going to go to public school. And the, the friends will ask them, you know, did you put up your tree yet? So we get a Hanukkah bush. And you say, yeah, we have a tree. We put gifts underneath. That's, that's, it's not idol worship, literally. But that's us picking up their, their stuff, the stuff from other religions. Some of the jewelry was like that, that they donated for the calf. Right. What does he do with the Mechilta that says they didn't change their clothing? Um, that's an interesting point, because... Uh, I thought that was one of the reasons that they were redeemed. Because that's right. why I'm no, that's what he's asking. But yeah. it could be that there's a difference between changing your clothing and doing things to your clothing which are associated with idol worship. So, I'd say, let's say, the way that you wear it, or it's hard for us to know, because we don't, we don't have um, idol worship, but... It, you know, in terms of clothing and things like that, but he's saying in terms of specific details of their clothing. So they might still have retained Jewish clothing. On the contrary, I think that fits perfectly with the concept of a Hanukkah bush because we're not we're not calling it a tree of another holiday. We're calling it. So they might have taken the Jewish um, the Jewish um, socks and yeah. put um, little trees or a snowman, or old men in red clothing on their socks in order to... Uh-huh. Uh, I, I would guess. But I wore white socks. 
There was, yeah, of course you do. Uh, there was an article in the newspaper about last month about uh, Russian immigrants to Israel right. who uh, celebrate this holiday. The, the, the communists right. prevented them from uh, celebrating Christmas, anybody. So they, they developed a new holiday uh, that would happen in New right. Year's Day. It's a New Year's. It's a New Year's, new Year's tree. holiday. And, and they're, new Year's tree. They're, they're really Father Frost. It was completely sanitized of anything right. Christian, but, it, but the Jews that came to Israel wanted to celebrate this. And they were bringing the trees. Right. Even in, what is, what do you mean? even in the United States, the, the New Year's tree, which many um, Jews who come from Russia, and they don't understand why <coughs> Jews are so disgusted by this custom. And to them, this has nothing to do with... They didn't even know Christmas. As you're saying, they prohibited Christmas too in, in Russia. And they just want to celebrate the New Year's, and they celebrate it with a tree, like, like in America. You have many Jews who have New Year's parties, and they don't... They, New Year's is not a religious holiday. It's a, it's a secular <laughs> holiday, just well, like... It was founded by, so, by uh, what's the name, so by the Pope, right? With, with the Pope? The, the, Sylvester. Oh, he's talking about in the, or the original. Yeah, it's probably when they conquered that when they when they took over Germany. They uh, okay. No, this is this is going back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you search, you'll so see this is this is a this is a struggle. So he says, Asher came because of this." So one of the things that Hashem expected from the Jewish people is to dump all this stuff. All the stuff which you've picked up from the Egyptians, get rid of it. But besides for just dropping all this stuff, we have to fix this. We have to do something counter to all these things. Now, this is, this is amazing, Archive, because it really speaks to us, because we have Jews in the United States have picked up a lot of these um, things which have, yeah, they're not... You can easily explain and say, this isn't Christian, this is, it doesn't even have Christian connotations anymore, but, but it is, because we've picked it up, because we want to be like them. So he says we have to actually do things opposite, opposite this. So take a sheep, which is the idol of the Egyptians, which caused the Jewish people to stumble. Use it for a mitzvah. And it will be, again, the watching, the guarding, the observing of the animal, not just the sacrifice itself, but even the holding on to it and keeping it around is the fixing of keeping around and holding on to things which were connected to idol worship. So, again, if if it was actual idol worship, then you would need to fix it with something more complicated. But if it wasn't idol worship, it was just connecting and holding on to and not letting go of something evil, so now you have to, don't do anything, just hold on to something holy, hold on to something that's instead the place where you are holding and observing and tagging on to and connecting to idol worship now you can do the opposite, you can fix that by holding on to what is a korban, a sacrifice to Hashem and understand this we will continue Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.